everybody, my name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, you guys, Jen Hatmaker here, host of For the Love podcast. So glad that you're here. Welcome to the show. We are in the middle of a series that you guys are just giving us so much buzz about. It's called For the Love of Faith Groundbreakers. You may remember if you've been listening for a while, last year we had another faith series that was so dynamite. We It was twice as long as our normal series because there was just so much in it. And a ton of you requested another another faith series. And so I was super happy to oblige because I live for this space, obviously, like listening to wise teachers, asking some questions that don't always have clear answers. Um, These conversations are so good for my soul, but they also light a fire under me and they convict me to want to know more and do better. And especially to listen to voices that have different experiences from my own, different perspectives, different interpretations. Like, so every single one of the guests in this series has stepped outside whatever comfort zone exists for them in their sort of subculture of faith and have leaned in to new or challenging spaces, even uncomfortable. And so um, I think that's how we grow. I think that is literally the definition of growth and courage. And I'm just happy to host some of these conversations on this podcast today. I'm especially happy you're here for today's talk. Um, so many of you already love him. My guest is literally one of the most thoughtful, brilliant, and I, I'm not dropping that word lightly, insightful people out there. He's living in a really authentic way that you're going to hear. You're going to pick up on it and, and making a really unique space for other people to think and to ask questions in a safe, safe way, which is needed right now. We need that. Um, and so if you don't know him, just you wait, you're really in for a treat. This whole conversation is wonderful. I mean, you are going to be locked in to this, this arc of his story. And it is just such a, it's just an amazing, beautiful um, story of a really great guy. So you probably know Mike McCarg. Um, you might know him as Science Mike. That's really his moniker. He is an author. He's a podcaster. He's a speaker. He travels the whole world, helping people understand the science behind life's most profound experiences. And so um, he hosts Ask Science Mike. It's a weekly Q&A podcast that helps people explore questions they've always been afraid to ask. And he co-hosts The Liturgists podcast with Michael Gunger and William Matthews, and the very wonderful Hillary McBride, who we had on this show a few weeks ago, talking about body image and embodiment. And that conversation just rocked my world in the best possible way. Yours too. We're still getting emails um, on that episode. It was so, so special. And so we're going to talk about the liturgist because it's a really special place for the spiritually homeless or the spiritually frustrated and they're really doing amazing work. And so um, he has gone through some pretty profound changes in his faith over the past decade. You're going to hear him talk about that today. Um, and he's very transparent about all of it, which I, I told him later in that hour. I'm like, that draws me to you. It does not push me away from you. It, 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 what that communicates to me is you are trustworthy and you are genuine and you are sincere. And he is all of those things. And so I'm tickled. He's on the show today. And I think you're going to love this one, you guys. So I'm very pleased to share my conversation with the very smart, very wonderful Mike McCarg. All right. So I am super happy to have my friend Mike on the podcast today. Welcome to the show. Oh man. I'm like, pinch me. I just can't believe it. Knock it off. Listen, (laughs) about a year ago, I was on the Liturgist, your podcast, which is just dynamo. I mean, it is just really dynamo. You guys are nailing it in literally every category. I'm just, it's one of the only podcasts that I listen to on the regular. Um, and I loved being on it. I love being on the show. Thank you for inviting me on. I think a year ago or so, we were talking about the state of the evangelical church, which is just a simple little conversation. <laughs> uh, that's real easy. <laughs> And I told you then something that I even believe more so now, 
which is I am grateful for you and your crew and just the space you make. Um, it is, it feels like room is ever shrinking. Um, everybody's just, it's more comfortable and easy to be in silos and, you know, sort of cordoned off from one another. And, and you kind of do the opposite. You, um, you make room and you, you hold the curtain back and you invite a lot of chairs to the table. And I think that's why people love you so much. So, um, I really appreciate you being on here today. Thanks. Thanks for being awesome. Um, I've told our listeners a little bit about you. A lot of my podcast listeners are your podcast listeners too. Um, but as we like, as we sort of take a deep dive into your life, I would love if you would give a little bit more context about your life to my listeners that are new to you, um, and how you have sort of evolved into the person that I am talking to today, because you've been kind of through a lot, frankly, in the past 10, 12 years. Um, this is your, like, I love, I've heard you say this before, and it it tickles me every time that you've gone from a deacon in a Southern Baptist church to an atheist back to being a follower of Jesus. And that's just interesting. <laughs> it's just it's interesting. That last part's an unexpected twist. It's, and we're going to get to it. Um, and so I would actually like for you to thread the needle a little bit for us and go back to the beginning, and then we'll sort of pull the story through. So can you just sort of tell everybody a little bit about growing up in Tallahassee, your your childhood, what that was like for you? Gosh, there's uh, maybe three things define my childhood. One, being Tallahassee. And it's natural beauty and stifling humidity. <laughs> mm-hmm, that's fair. Fair <laughs> is, assessment. It's a gorgeous place, but my word. Yeah. If you put a, hang up a towel outside, it gets wetter, not that's drier. That's true. And um, that would be one. Two would probably be uh, I was a bullied child. Mm-hmm. Um, I went I went through some pretty severe uh, bullying as a child that uh, I think it's fair to say that I'm still dealing with the fallout of today. Mm-hmm. And um, three would be that I was like a little Jesus kid. I mean, nice. oh my gosh, mm-hmm. more than most people. Um, <laughs> Which is saying something. Well, I think because for me, my relationship with Jesus, even as a child, was a matter of psychological survival. Yeah. So I didn't feel like some guilt or pressure to pray. Mm. I didn't have any friends. Wow. So Jesus was the only person who would talk to me as a kid. So during recess, I would run away from the playground because if I stayed on the playground, I got beat up. Right. Right. And I would hide in the trees at the edge of the playground. And then I would pray for like 22 minutes every single recess. And I'd ask Jesus about why he made me so fat and why, uh, I didn't know how to make friends and why school was so hard for me. I got terrible grades as a child. Hmm. Um, but then I would also just kind of ask Jesus how butterflies could stay in the air and yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, that's uh, how your mind works. Right. And how, how trees can turn light into sugar. Those things fascinated me. Sure. And I developed this like really, uh, personal, genuine, relationship with not only God, the creator, who in those days I would call God, the father, Mm -hmm. uh, but also explicitly with the person of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it would not be an overstretch for me to say that for most of my life, my childhood and into my adulthood, that Jesus was my best friend. And so you grew up like, what kind of church were you in at the time? What was your context for knowing Jesus? Southern Baptist. So not okay. just evangelical, but like evangelical, evangelical. <laughs> so, I mean, that was my, I, same, same. And, uh, but I loved it. You know, I, yeah. I didn't, I, I mean, I'm a straight white male. I, sure. I, I had like the yeah, gilded your context. experience, right? You're going to thrive there. <laughs> um, everyone, every time I would talk, I was told it was great and I should teach totally. more. Every time I would quote from the Bible as a child, I received lots of affirmation. Sure. The other people my age at church did not beat me up. Right. Uh, the Round adults. Upon. Like I was, I was a stellar Sunday school student, even though I was a, a poor school student. Mm. So I received lots of encouragement and affirmation in the Baptist church. And I also, and I think a lot of people experience this. One thing that's so shocking for me about 
what's happening in American politics and conservative religion today mm-hmm. is how truly and deeply apolitical the church of my childhood was, mm, right. uh, how uh, consistently, how much I learned about being a decent person and caring for others from the evangelical church. Right. Um, you know, I, I loved, absolutely loved my church. I only left the church that I grew up in when my parents did, and it wasn't because it was a fallout, it was because my dad became the minister of music at another Baptist church in town. Yeah. And um, so I just had this like total love affair uh, with the church. It wasn't like a mega church, but it wasn't a small church either. It's right. you know, like 800 people, which is just a really kind of thriving size for a community. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I mean, the whole thing from the hymns to the the potluck dinners to the fact that when I accepted Jesus at, at age seven, I immediately was allowed to take the Lord's Supper, this grown-up oh thing, and even vote in church business meetings. Yes, uh, true. It, it, it all just felt so, um, so wonderful. I grew up in a really similar environment, and one of my family's funniest stories to tell um, is when I was probably seven or eight, very mature in my salvation. I mean, having at least logged two years of it. Mm -hmm. And my sister, who was five and hadn't yet walked an aisle and prayed with a deacon, um, took communion during the Lord's Supper one time, and I cried my eyes out. It was just all so wrong. You know, how dare she? How dare she get to take communion (laughs) before she had prayed with a deacon? I waited my turn. I waited. I mean... Fury, absolute fury. I was devastated. So wow. I've been been this way for some time. Um, so I love hearing. <laughs> I I appreciate the way you talk about your upbringing because it is a really important backdrop to kind of your adult story too. Um, let, let's move let's move your needle forward a bit. So um, it's two thousand and seven. You're married. Yes. You have two little girls, yes. and as as is expected as would be the expected trajectory, you are a deacon in your oh, grown-up yeah. church as an adult man. Um, Youngest which is a... deacon in the history of the church, by the way. Like, I, Congratulations. I started early. <laughs> I, that's, I mean, I hope you're not unseated anytime soon. Um, <laughs> and, and this is Southern Baptist. And so, of course, at the time, it's 2007, you don't exactly know that your world is about to blow up. And so I wonder if you could talk about that year. And... And how everything sort of changed. Yeah, everything was, I was convinced like I'd figured life out. Sure. You know, um, I'm in my early 30s. I've got two kids. I'm not just a deacon. I also teach Sunday school. I play bass in the worship band. I am the kind of church member that gets called on to sub for the pastor when he's out of town. Like, I mean, really, really involved. And um, I just have to emphasize over and over, genuinely involved. There was nothing yeah. performative about my faith. And my dad, who was the minister of music at our church, and kind of like my spiritual hero, hmm. like the person I tried to emulate was my dad, which is weird because we're so different. I'm like a nerd computer programmer, hmm. and my dad's like a former military football player, steel and leather, clears timber in his spare time kind of person. Sure. Um, So he calls his family meeting and says that he's like had an affair and fallen in love and he's leaving mom. Yeah. And uh, I was really torn because I'm a beta male's beta male. (laughs) Sure. Yes. Good. (laughs) And this is my dad and he's an alpha male and my dad. But what he's talking about goes against my understanding of the Bible. Like his grounds for divorce was the heart wants what the heart wants. And I thought about what Jesus said about divorce and what Moses said about divorce. And neither of them ever mentioned the heart wants what the heart wants. Mm. So I prayed about it in the moment and in the most objective, non-biased way possible. (laughs) Because obviously I'm completely objective about my parents' marriage. Uh, Clearly, right. Um, I say dad, are you a Christian? And he says, sure. And he's obviously confused. And I say, then your life is not your own. It was bought with a price. And, uh, there's no biblical grounds for you get to this divorce. However, there are biblical grounds for mom to divorce you if she wants to. 
So I said, mom, do you want to get a divorce? And my mom starts crying and she says, no. And I'm like, well, mm. that settles it. Dad, your request for divorce has been denied. It's denied. Yeah. And my dad's like so confused. And I say like, don't worry. You and I are going to go to a Bible study together. We're going to kick the devil right. out of your life. I oh, literally gosh. said, we're going to kick the devil out of your life. And it's so earnest. <laughs> it's so earnest and dear. It's that simple. Don't worry point. about it. Don't worry about it. Devil, be gone. Devil's going to go. He's, he's, mm-hmm. he's going to flee when confronted with the truth sure, of the word. Sure, sure, sure. And, uh, and then I tell my dad, I'm going to be his accountability partner, okay. which is clearly brilliant, right? Mm, like, sure. Not at all I inappropriate. Have distance as his son to be his accountability partner. And by the way, I also think like accountability partners are a really important thing at the time. So, um, kind of that total depravity was really baked in. Absolutely. Uh, it didn't work at all. Um, you know, my dad was wrestling. I think I extended his, his struggle to be on a trajectory that actually did in divorce anyway. Mm. Um, but since I'm a nerd, I'm like, I've got to be able to know all of the answers here. Mm -hmm. But luckily God put all of the answers to every question in a book called the Bible, Mm. which I've read a lot, but I need to, I need to like power lift right now. Sure. So I read the Bible in like three months, cover to cover. Wow. And then I read it again and then I read it again and then I read it again. But the first read through was for dad. Mm. The second read through was for the questions. The first read through went yeah. through and the third read through was just a desperate attempt to not become an atheist wow <laughs> from Gosh. reading the bible and I, a lot of people get um upset when i say that mm. intense bible study made me an atheist but it's true like more yeah. than anything else it was an earnest desire to address a problem in my life and find an answer to that problem in scripture that like drove me away from God. Can you talk more about that? Like what was, did you have some key tension points? Was it more generalized? Uh, you know, if you could sort of in retrospect, go back and kind of un- undo that part, that part for us. Can you talk a little bit more about that for you? What was going on inside your head? Absolutely. You know, as an evangelical, I understood that the important thing was that you read the Bible and that you just read the Bible. So people would talk about a hermeneutic I'd be like, that's ridiculous. You just read the Bible. Right. <laughs> it just right. Says it just what says, it says what it says. Yes, right. exactly. I've literally said that. I've written that in a book. So I used to cling to that. It was easier. I miss those days. <laughs> it is easier. Yeah. It really is easier. Yeah. Um, but that means if the Bible it just says what it says, anytime it speaks to matters of history, it's right. Anytime it speaks to a matter of science, it's right. It's not a history book or a science book, but if it talks about those things, the Bible reigns supreme as God's right. word. And also, by the way, God wrote the Bible, the whole thing, yeah. every single letter. And I don't mean from Paul. I mean right. a single element of text came from God. Mm-hmm. And uh, that meant the Bible's free from contradiction right. and without error. Uh, so I would call the Bible in those days infallible mm-hmm. and inerrant. So I started reading the Bible, and immediately <laughs> there were some problems. Mm. One, I know a lot about science, yep, and it's somewhat difficult to make Genesis 1 fit within a modern cosmological view of the universe. Okay, fair. <laughs> For example, the idea of a firmament in the sky, which there isn't one, we haven't found one. I thought maybe it metaphorically talked about the great veil at the end of the observable universe, which is simply as far as light has been able to propagate since the Big Bang. Um, but, you know, then it said that trees came before stars. Mm. And as a person of science, I understand that trees are actually made out of old, dead stars. Mm. Uh, so that really confused me. Um, but in this process, I would just ask God whenever I had questions. Because if I tried right. to ask a friend or the pastor for a they would friend, panic. unquote, they would panic. Yeah. Um, so I just kept asking God about it and God would say, well, I'm God and, and you're just a person. So just trust me. I say, okay. Okay. So that helped Genesis one for me. Then I read Genesis two and Genesis two tells a different story than Genesis one. 
So we're on like the first day of my Bible plan. Sure. <laughs> and it's already it's already going poorly. Um, right. And that just kind of outlined my problems. Yeah. One, I saw conflicts with science. I saw conflicts with history. But then I would find places with the Bible contradicting itself. And that was the point I couldn't resolve. Hmm. I could handle the other things as like, well, humans get it wrong. God has it right. Right. But anytime it seemed like God was contradicting God, and that laid a foundation for me as I got deeper into the text and saw God taking moral actions I couldn't condone. Hmm. Um, the genocide that's recorded, for example, in the Torah, uh, in the promised land, there were people living there already. And, and I could right. understand, you know, God sending in these people to claim the land and even to fight enemy combatants. But when I get to passages where it says, and make sure you kill the women and mm. the children and burn all the livestock. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you get to the New Testament, and I really, uh, I, I hate to use this phrase, but the scales are off my eyes at this point as I read yeah. the Bible. And I get to Paul, and I'm like, this guy is a nutbag. <laughs> he's, a, he's a homophobic, <laughs> anti-woman, mm. nutbag. What am I doing? Mm. And... Um, I started reading books by atheists and really got angry that their ideas offended me kind of morally, but they like made sense to my brain. Sure. And it, it ended in a place where like I was praying one day, my wife was out of town and in the middle of the, my morning prayer, I said, God, I don't, I don't even know why I'm praying. You don't exist. Wow. Gosh. And that was it. Yeah. Um, I would love to hear how that went, um, because you were deeply embedded in your evangelical world, deeply, um, uh, and sincerely so up until that point. And so, um, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about, about how you manage this, your, your wife and your mom knew, right. And, and I wonder if talking about this is kind of where I'm at now. How did this affect your relationships with them? Um, were you scared? Um, how, how were you managing sort of this conflict between what you'd always had and known or believed, and then sort of this new, um, space that you found yourself in? I'm just, I'm real curious about that season. Well, oddly enough, the tools of you know, people talk about atheism, but atheism is not really a thing. Hmm. Atheism just means you don't, you lack a belief in God or gods. That's it. That's all atheism is. It's not a worldview. Right. It's not a philosophy. That's true. Okay. So I learned pretty quickly that atheism alone couldn't offer me any solutions to life's problems. And you needed some kind of moral philosophy. And so I studied humanist thinking and humanist thought. And humanism right. actually became really helpful for me. It meant I, I could make my own choices. Uh, I didn't make actions because of what God would think, because there was no God. I just made decisions to live a life that impacted the world. I wanted to see the world be impacted by. Mm -hmm. And I really quickly decided I was not anti-God or anti-faith hmm. because I saw so many people have tremendous positive life impacts from religious community and spiritual practice. So I decided to um, literally become a wolf in sheep's clothing. <laughs> wow. Yes. I, uh, without any mm. judgment, I said, well, if there's no objective morality, it's not morally wrong for me to pretend to be a Christian in a way wow. that lets me protect my marriage and my yeah. relationship with my children wow. and avoid creating all the stress and anxiety for people in church. So I started studying the Bible and the history of the Bible more than I ever had. So I could hmm. give the most compelling Sunday school lessons I'd ever done. So you're still um, teaching. I'm still teaching. And by yeah. the way, I should mention, for two years, I my wife and my mom didn't even know. Okay. It was just me, secret atheist. So on the internet, anonymously, I would talk about how we need to transition to a post-faith world. <laughs> wow. But we as atheists need to be more understanding of people's psychological needs that are met by religion. Oh, that must have felt person. crazy. Oh my gosh. That had to have felt crazy for you. It did feel. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't realize like the toll it was having on me, but what, yeah. what I didn't realize I was also in this like grieving process about my parents' marriage and the loss of God. Sure. So my head wasn't screwed on straight to begin with. Um, 
And it, it did, it had this perpetual toll on me. And then I felt, I didn't think I was doing anything morally wrong because there's no mm-hmm. such thing as objective morality. Right. But I did feel distant from all the people I cared about. Of course. Because I couldn't tell anyone what mm-hmm. I most believed about the world. Yep. So I gave great Sunday school lessons about like why we should care for the poor. Yeah, uh, sure. and, and they were, they, you know, people loved them. It was the best Sunday school lessons I've ever given was when I had to believe in God. I led my oldest daughter to Christ as an atheist. It's just bananas. Super conflicted for me. I, like, I bet. I'm sure. I when she got baptized for the wrong reasons. And yeah. Uh, eventually I told my wife, she told my mom. Was she really rattled? Jenny? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Jenny was so rattled. Like yeah. existentially rattled. I can imagine. Uh, I mean, you know, Jenny is, uh, she's a real person. Uh, yes. I'm, I'm like this kind of complicated um, <laughs> machine-like facsimile of a human being. <laughs> but my wife is a human being. She and is. so she, she's less like, well, here's this esoteric set of principles I'm working through. And sure. we're like, how do we eat? Do we have friends? <laughs> totally. The things that people do. Right. And so all she sees is the potential for us to be completely exiled from our friends and family. That's why she told my mom. It wasn't that she was like tattling on me. It's that she was terrified. Yes. My mom, of course, was completely unrattled. Mm. Really? Uh, mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, my mom is my mom's a hero of faith, like a biblical hero of faith. Oh. My mom... Um, she prays like 27 hours a day. I don't Got know if it's possible. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Like my mom. She bends space and time for off. it. Mm-hmm. Yes. So every verse in the Bible she has on recall. Uh, I've always said that she and my grandmother, they have like a red phone in their bedroom. If they pick it up, like <laughs> God on high picks up on the other. <laughs> That's talking great. about today. So like her faith, it just didn't shake her. No. And yeah. I was afraid to tell people why I became an atheist because I didn't want to give them like a mind virus that took their faith apart. Right. Um, because I do like it's it's strange <laughs> if you're like a devout evangelical who becomes an atheist because mm-hmm. when evangelicals want to tell you about faith, you're like, hey, I literally know all of this. Right. <laughs> the only difference between me and you is I know some things you don't know. That's right. I see. Um, and so I didn't want to do that to my mom. And my mom looks at me and she goes, you're not going to rattle my faith. Oh, wow. Gosh. Okay. <laughs> and, and I did it. I threw my best stuff at my mom. I believe you. And uh, she said, you just have an answer for everything, and the devil's got a hold on you. That's it. Sure. So, okay. um, And she said, I'm going to pray that God moves in your life in a miraculous way, and you won't be able to deny that it's God. Hmm. And uh, I was like, you know, that's great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Santa Claus for a pony, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but we kind of entered this place where... They knew I didn't believe they weren't going to expose me. Uh, they were giving me the space to process and the space to do what I had to do. And, and what did that I, look like? Did you kind of step out of your church world at that point? I should have, but mm-hmm. I didn't. It was a really like pragmatic ethical calculus. I'm already lying. So mm-hmm. if I'm going to lie, which lie causes in my estimation, the least harm. Wow. Um, it was a bad call, but it's what I had at the time. <laughs> and so how long did you how long did you stay the course like that? Gosh, after mom found out, I don't it wasn't very long. Mm. Uh, because mom started praying for a miracle, and then I got a phone call inviting me to go to NASA. And um I mean I'm a nerd and nerds like technology and they like science, and NASA is like right. that's your mecca. It, the king, yes, it is yes. totally nerd mecca. Right. <laughs> um, so was, I'd have to fly all the way to California, but I'm like, yes, I'm going to go to California to go to a NASA uh, base that's never been open to the public before. Yeah. Where they rehearsed the Apollo landings. Like, it's insane. Right. So this is special. It's super special. So I go to NASA, but before I go, I also get invited to go to this like conference about creativity hosted okay. by Rob Bell. Yep. And uh, I liked Rob as a communicator. Mm-hmm. I was super suspicious of him because he was a pastor. Right. Um, but I was in advertising at the time, and I was 
if you work in the ad business, you people know you have this existential threat, like dread of where sure. do my ideas come from? <laughs> and right, can I have of course. Ten more by tomorrow. Right, it's just ubiquitous. Yes, this is 2012 now, and uh, and I go to this conference, and like it was amazing. It mm. really was about creativity. They mm-hmm. didn't over spiritualize things. They didn't get preachy. They bear, you know, the, God didn't get mentioned that much. It was about like theories of human consciousness and sure. the processes that make creativity. Um, but then somebody asked about atheism. Okay. And there was this weird energy shift in the room where all these like progressive pastors and faith leaders uh-huh. sort of looked insecure. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I didn't like the direction the conversation in the room went because I felt like they mischaracterized atheism. Hmm. Um, and there's one thing that annoys me, two things really, as a, as a former Christian, I didn't like it when atheists made cartoonish characterizations of Christians that weren't accurate to the breadth and diversity of beliefs in the church. And frankly, how many Christians are genuinely loving moral people who right. want to make the world a better place. Right. But as a former atheist at that time, current yeah. atheist, I get super annoyed and Christians make cartoon characters of atheists. Great point. Who are overwhelmingly moral loving people who want to leave the world a better place than they arrived. It's a great point. It. And so I stood up and introduced myself as a Southern Baptist atheist. And then I just went on this screen about like why God was ridiculous. Yeah. And I was like, they're going to throw me out of their pastor party, oh but I've said it. It's great. Yeah. And that's not what happened at all. Okay. Uh, Rob was super gracious. He like leaned forward on his chair and Rob's like 12 feet tall. So when he leans right. forward on his chair that he really leans forward and he thanked me for being there and said they all needed to hear that and that, mm-hmm. you know, whether I believed or not, it seemed like I was living the kind of life that Jesus approved of. And he just wanted to take a moment and celebrate that. Wow. And Gosh. I think, yeah. How mm-hmm. different is that from how we respond to people in times of crisis normally? Opposite. <laughs> yeah. Just opposite. It's opposite. Yeah. And so what happened? You've got NASA, you've got Rob, what's going on? Yeah, we kept doing the conference and I felt really good to like, it felt cleansing to say to a room full of people I didn't believe in God. Like it felt really good. It felt honest. Um, And I became aware of like how much this like dishonest cycle had been a, 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 a pebble in my shoe and decided when I get home, I'm going to figure out how to step down from everything I do. Okay. And I'm I'm going to figure out how to tell the world I don't believe in God in a way that leaves the least blood on the floor for everybody. Yeah. Yep. And we get to the end of the conference and they close it with the Eucharist. Right. And I was like, "Come on. You right. got to be kidding me." <laughs> is this youth group or is this a, a room of serious professionals? Right. So I, I hatched this brilliant plan to like everyone's supposed to come up and receive the Eucharist whenever they feel ready. And I feel like it's rude if I just leave. So I decided I'm going to walk up, but I'm going to point my thumb to the sky as I do. So okay. it, like, it's very clear about handout. Give me the bread. Thumb up. Give me a handshake. My plan was to say like, good job, Rob. Great weekend. Okay. And uh, instead, he like holds out a piece of bread and says, this is the body of Christ broken for you. I said, I can't do this. If I eat this bread... They're going to think, I've come back to faith. I leaned back on my heels mm. to kind of pivot and turn away. And when I did, I heard, i super self-conscious about this still, even though I wrote a book about it. Mm. Uh, I heard a voice. Yeah. And the voice said, um, I was there when you were eight, and I'm here right now. Wow. And uh, that was really powerful. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, so I, I took the Eucharist, and I ran out of the room. I was crying. Mm. Sure. And then uh, a few hours later, I was standing on the beach, like kind of screaming at a God I didn't believe in. Mm. And I had a mystical experience. I saw mm. a, a bright light in the air in front of me, kind of kind of through the air in a very strange way. Mm-hmm. And it moved close to me. And as it did, I felt warm. 
And when the light touched me, all I could see was light. And I felt the divine presence. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it was beautiful. Mm. Were you mad? Were you a little mad? I was mad. I'd kind of gotten the anger out shouting. Yeah. And on the other end of the anger, I admitted to God. <laughs> I can't believe I still cry when I tell mm. that. Uh, and I missed, I missed him. Yeah. And I didn't believe in him. Right. I sure missed him. And that's, that's when the light showed up. Lord. <laughs> Lord have mercy. <laughs> Gosh. It's just so um, powerful and wonderful, unexpected. I love that piece of your story so much. Um, and and I'll tell you what I really love about you, too, having sort of really looped through these massive tectonic shifts in your own beliefs. I love where it has landed you because you are... I learn a lot from you. I, I I learn, I've listened to you talk about folks who are atheists and in such powerful ways, like you kind of mentioned earlier, just um, this way to be human together and to be good neighbors to one another regardless. Hey guys, Jen, jumping in for just a quick sec to talk about one of our new sponsors. Now, if you were like me, shopping for fashion can bring on a bit of dread. You know I'm telling the truth. Whether it's clothing or beauty products or accessories, it is a lot and I don't like it, which is why I literally love FabFitFun. FabFitFun, it allows women to discover new products with a seasonal subscription box. It's delivered four times a year with absolutely full size. And I say that because some of these subscription services are these little tiny mini um, sort of samples. These are full size, beauty, fashion, home, fitness, wellness products. And this is the craziest part. It's $49.99 a box. You just cannot even believe how much is in this. Every single box is guaranteed to have over $200 in retail value. It's like getting a surprise gift to yourself, like once a quarter. Um, In one shipment, I open up the boxes and I might get this fabulous new pair of sunglasses um, or a really awesome piece of jewelry or this delicious body scrub, which I just got. Um, In fact, the 2019 spring box has so many cool things. What a good way to discover um, new brands, new products, stuff you might not have tried otherwise. So cutely packaged. I mean, you will just be like happy clappy when it gets to your to your house. So use the promo code FTL to get $10 off your first box. So again, that is over $200 for only $39.99. So it's fabfitfun.com and use my code FTL to get $10 off your first box. All right, back to our show guys. It's amazing to hear you talk about the way that believing in a loving God versus a vengeful God, it changes the way our brains work. This really, I'm dialed into this because um, I I grew up in a similar environment as you. And so can you talk for a minute about that? Because I think it's an important perspective to consider and honestly, potentially life-changing for a lot of folks who were brought up with the notion of a God like keeping score in our lives, like hard to please, weirdly arbitrary um, in the way he dispenses justice or favor, you know, um, really, really like good luck getting on his side, on his good side, good luck staying on his good side. Um, And so can you talk for a minute about how you understand loving God versus a vengeful God? When you believe that God is angry, produces measurable impacts on your your brain structure and your health. Hmm. People who believe in God and believe that God is primarily angry or vengeful, their blood pressure is higher. Yes. Start there. Uh, they get 
increased activation in their amygdala, which is the part of your brain that coordinates fear and anger. So they get they get angry more easily, and that increased anger makes it hard for them to forgive themselves when they fail. Wow. And because they can't forgive themselves, they can't forgive other people either. Um, this constant fear that God is out to get us leaves marks on the brain and on the body yes. in really terrifying ways. It, it, it creates xenophobia. It creates bias against what we call in sociology any out group versus your in group or your your squad, basically. Right, right. Um, and it it does actually provide um, really effective mitigation of impulse control issues in the short term. Hmm. <laughs> so if you think like a divine being is watching the cookie jar and will smite you if you take a cookie, yes. that actually helps you fight impulse problems, which is why so many people going through substance abuse recovery find solace in fundamentalism. Uh, the rigid sense. structures sure. and like... God is the ultimate police officer image helps them regulate their behaviors for a while. It's not right. a permanent effect, but in a short term, it, it actually can be helpful. Um, but, but, but basically belief in an angry God makes you a more angry, more fearful person who's under chronic stress. Yes. And when you look at someone instead who believes God's primary attributes are love or mercy, a very different picture appears in brain imaging studies. One is that your blood pressure is lower, your stress levels do decrease, but there's a, a, a couple of really fascinating structural changes in your brain. The first is that you get a, a thickening or enriching of gray matter in a part of the brain known as the anterior cingulate cortex, mm -hmm. which is my favorite part of the brain because it's where <laughs> empathy and compassion emerge from. It's good. And then the other thing you get is a richening and a thickening in your prefrontal cortex, which is where willpower and agency live. Yeah. So, so people who believe in a loving God become more compassionate, more yeah. thoughtful and patient people who are less fearful of people who are different than they are That's and good. who find it easy to forgive themselves and forgive other people. It's just fascinating. Also, I love um, being on a phone call with my friend who's like, which is my favorite part of the brain? I'm like, oh, dear. <laughs> it's true, though. I, no, I, I know. I, I, at some point, I'm going to make a T-shirt that says Jesus lives in my anterior cingulate cortex. <laughs> I'll help you sell that. Um, that's um, really profound to me. Neurology, biology has been um, an incredible instructor to me, I would say over the last few years. Um, all the the ways that God has built in like biological rewards for wonderful behaviors, for connected mm. behavior, for empathetic behavior. And, um, and it's just, it's such a clarifier for me um, when I try to suss out, God, what is actually your deal? Like what really mm. is your deal? And I, I wonder if I could ask you, now, um, going back to your original tension point, going through the Bible, God, what is your deal? Are you a monster? Like, are you a, literally a monster, a genocidal monster? Um, are you homophobic? Are you xenophobic? Are you a supremacist? You know, are you a misogynist? How do you now, at this point in your life, how do you make sense of, of the Bible now? Oh, gosh, the Bible's amazing. There's no one way, in my opinion, to read the Bible. Yes. Sometimes I use a historical critical lens. Uh, other times I use a poetic lens. Uh, the Bible's harder to read than it used to be because it means to read it well. I have to, I have to read about what Bible scholars tell me about who that author was and yeah. what audience they were writing to and why they were writing to the audience. Yeah. Um, those are all really important things to get anything out of the text. But I understand the Bible now as this collection of documents, some of it art, some of it history, some of it poetry, some of it literally letters to other people about their experiences with God. And, and it's so redemptive for me to understand that when I read the Bible, I see confusion and I hmm. see uncertainty and I see people who aren't sure what God thinks about something 
or aren't sure who God is at all or what God is like. Sure. And as someone who has been through so much doubt and so much questions about the nature and character of God, to see that an institution started by people who followed a guy named Jesus, mm. it's like the great, it's like the now music collection of spiritual mm. writings yeah. for people in the Christian tradition. tradition. And I love them. I read, I literally read the Bible every day again, Hmm. but now as a source of solidarity, seeing how other people have struggled trying to follow God and wrote about it, which means actually, yes, the Bible is inspired by God. It's inspired Hmm. by people's experiences with God and it is beautiful and it is irreplaceable as such a deep collection with which by the way has there been any book with as much scholarship around it as the bible nope there's so many extra biblical resources that help us get deeper into this text and in doing so not only understand god but understand ourselves that's great that's beautiful um that's something that i've learned in the last decade too i it never um occurred to me to read scripture through the lens of genre or literary devices or human experience or um, sort of ancient culture. And it is such a relief to do so. And, um, you know, I, I've encountered the same as you, a lot of people who are like, well, if you are going to understand the Bible in a different way, then how can you know what's true? You know, how can you believe what's real? What what of it are you going to say yes? And whatever are you going to say no? That's just human's opinion or experience. And I just find that's not the way it's played out in my life at all. It hasn't given me like a sliding scale of rules. Like people are, I guess that's what they're asking. Like which parts can be our handbook, um, you know, and which parts can't. And so, but rather it feels much more alive and, um, and kind and, um, it's kind of the story of God through through mankind, and I love it. I love it again. It doesn't scare me like it used to. I want to talk for a minute about the liturgist because I am just a, such a fan. You have done a killer job of building a community for people to be curious and to wonder and to ask questions in a really, really safe place. And I would say that I don't find that incredibly easy to do, but the way that you and Mike and Hillary and William have just sort of built and maintained this space of yours. It's really inspiring. And so I wonder if you could talk about it for just a minute. How did it come into being? What was your, what was your aim here? I mean, did you have, you couldn't have possibly known how wildly popular it was going to become. No, no, you couldn't have known it or how many interesting tendrils it was going to spout off in a million new ways now. Um, and, and then kind of what's coming up for the liturgist, what's next, what are you dreaming about for that space? Okay. Uh, the liturgist came about because I met a guy named Michael Gunger, who was a worship leader and, uh, a, a best-selling Christian musician who didn't believe in God anymore. <laughs> huh? Yeah. And, uh, I had recently kind of told the world, for a while, I didn't believe in God, and yeah. now I did, but it was different. And he and I just became fast friends. Mm. And I think the reason we became fast friends is we were both lonely. We had we had mm. people in our lives who loved us and supported us, but nobody who'd kind of gone from profound and deep devotion to the Christian tradition to this is all made up. Right. <laughs> that was a pretty big swing. Fair. And there are people yeah. who do that, but then to turn around and say, but I still have some interest in this tradition. Now that's mm. super weird. And I think that's the genesis of the liturgist is to not talk about answers, but oh, great. Yeah, to honor good questions. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to create a framework for people who had the same spiritual hunger that we did, where they could approach and practice spirituality without a bunch of communal expectations or expectations about belief. We said from the beginning, uh, Christians should feel welcome and included here, but so should atheists, so should agnostics, and so should the largest, fastest growing group of people of faith in America, those who claim no religious identity whatsoever. Right. And uh, at first, it failed spectacularly. 
as we deconstructed our faith, we started to deconstruct our politics and our views right. on sexuality and our views on social justice. And yeah. we became aware that um, if this conversation was going to be worth listening to, it couldn't be two men. Mm. And it especially couldn't be uh, a white man and a mixed race man who who easily passes for being a white man. So mm-hmm. uh, we said, we've got, we've got to do better here. Uh, so we started looking for like, who are some of the best voices that we could include? And uh, that's how, you know, we found Hillary and oh yeah, we found William, and of course, adding them to the program has been yeah monumental. We, we see God more clearly when we bring a more fullness of humanity together. It's true. Um, That's exactly right. When we include their scholarship and experiences and um, communities, and let me just say, Hillary is really something. Oh my gosh, um, she is. Something. We had her on the show a few weeks ago. And I mean, we are still, it is, everyone's just buzzing about that episode with her and plus her voice. Like, I just wish she would speak to me all day, just sit on the couch and say words to me, whatever they are. Oh, her voice is so pretty. Hillary is a singularly gifted person in so many ways. I've never, yes. I've never met someone who is so intelligent and such a good communicator while also being the best listener I've ever mm. known. Um, and so you kind of rounded out the show and I mean, talk about you're being modest, but I mean, it, it just took flight. It is just, it, you've got a monster on your hands in a wonderful way. I do all this cause like, I know people hurt and they're lonely. Yeah. And so those moments are times for me to connect with people and it's, it's, it's really beautiful. Season five, uh, we're still going to have four hosts, but we're expanding to a much larger cast of contributors. I like uh, this. To get towards more inclusion, but also just to make the show better. And we, the liturgist doesn't exist to raise like me and Michael's public profile. Sure. The liturgist exists to create space and community. So we want to model that even how the show is structured. It's great. By having it involve more voices and more perspectives. That's exciting. I like that move. Um, and I think your community will love it because you're right. They come to you because they're lonely and they have questions and they don't know where it's safe for them to to ask them and to to explore their own faith sort of trajectory. And so I, I think that will be met with like universal applause from your community. Hey guys, Jen breaking in to make a quick recommendation while we're on the topic of good change. So as a writer and creative myself, I know how easy it is to fall into like working in a vacuum when I'm trying to get a project done isn't the best way or time for me to, I don't know, expand my perspective or help me grow in my craft, which is why I love Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community for creators, for creatives of any kind. So with more than 25,000 classes in design and business, writing, social media, photography, so much more. You can discover, honestly, endless ways to fuel your curiosity um, or your creativity or even the career you already have. So you can join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a very awesome offer just for my listeners. You can get two months of Skillshare for free. Skillshare is offering the For the Love community two months of unlimited access to over 25,000 classes for absolutely free. So to sign up, this is how all you have to do. Go to Skillshare.com slash For the Love. Okay, that's it. That's the link you need. Skillshare.com slash For the Love to start your free two months right now. This is a good investment in you, in your work, in your creativity, and in your dreams. So Skillshare.com slash For the Love. Okay, back to our show. And then also, just as we kind of start to wrap it up here, I heard that you just finished your second book, Bravo. Congratulations. <laughs> I finally said a... something to the publisher at least. Uh, I mean, it's just so monumental. Can you talk about it? Is it too soon? Can you say can you tell us about it? Oh, I can definitely tell you about it. Okay. The book is called uh, You're a Miracle, 
and a pain in your ass. Uh, and the subtitle that is, is not the title, is that it? That is the title. That is amazing. It's on Amazon right now. You're a miracle and a pain oh, in your ass. Oh, so fabulous. Uh, the subtitle is Understanding the Hidden Forces That Make You, You. That's so great. That's so you. That is just so you <laughs> that I just love it. So like I talk about like in the book, and this might not make it. So this is a little, little gold for uh, sure. Or just for you and your a listeners. exclusive podcast bobble. I talk about uh, what anxiety is, what we, how we actually understand anxiety in science, and how anxiety stands in as a way of helping us not experience less pleasant emotions. Mm-hmm. So while I'm writing the book, I said, I'll, I'll show you right now. I feel anxious right now. So what's underneath that is anxiety? That took a moment. Oh, fear. Yeah. What am I afraid of right now? I'm afraid that because my book is late, my editor's not going to like me anymore. Right. Yeah. And what's underneath that fear? Underneath that fear is, uh, is a fear that I'm not a good writer. Yeah. And if I'm not a good writer, then I'm not worthy of love. And if I'm not worthy of love, it's going to be like it was when I was a kid again. I'm just going to be all alone. Wow. And so that like, um, the, the way the book is structured is me telling my stories and my listeners stories of mm-hmm. problems in their lives and then describing why those problems are actually amazing features of the human body that keep you alive. Mm, that's but interesting. also how you can, according to both practices of faith and insights of science, how you can address some of those things in your life that that's make good. you a pain in your own ass. Okay. That's so great. That is so great. Um, let me ask you this quick question. We're kind of asking everybody in this series, this question. Um, so let's say you could just have dinner with any, with a faith hero, somebody who's just been really meaningful to you. Who would it be? Well, in my truly split brain fashion. Sure. Honor my entire faith experience. It would have to be two people. Okay, that's fine. The first would be Carl Sagan, mm. uh, the, the the famous astronomer um, and astrophysicist. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and the other would be probably James Cone. Um, yeah. Because Christianity started to make sense to me again when I started to study it through the lens of people who did Christianity as a means of survival and not a means of social acceptance or or, or psychological coping. Oh, uh, that's so good. So those, those, I think I also think that I wouldn't have to talk at that dinner if I just listened to Carl Sagan, talk to James mm-hmm. Cole, and I'd probably, I'd probably learn a lot. Yeah, I remember the first time I heard somebody say that in Western evangelicalism, we are, um, what, what we have here is a group of privileged people in power trying to understand a sacred text written by people under oppression. And it, there's just such a fundamental gap in how we can even understand their faith for survival and God with them in in trauma and in the margins and under brutal rule and in exile. It just doesn't even make sense. It does. And so, yeah, some of the my leaders from from the edges, from the uncentered communities, they're also the ones that oh, have just changed my life. I mean, I. I I feel like, oh my gosh, I and now I think I maybe understand this whole thing for the first time in my forties. Um, here's the last one. So you you um, you like Barbara Brown Taylor as do I? We ask everybody this um, question in every series. Whatever you can, this, this is literally your answer. However you want this answer to be, it can be absolutely serious or it can be absolutely absurd. Um, what is saving your life right now? Trauma therapy. Ah, oh, you're in it right now? I'm in it right now. And yes. uh, I've done a lot of therapy before. Um, trauma therapy is different, you know. Yeah. Uh, I've been on a <clears throat> real real journey even recently, learning a lot about myself. I just found out last year that I'm an adult with autism spectrum disorder, yes. which was yeah. pretty, pretty wild. And something about living this life where... Uh, I'm open and vulnerable emotionally and both my friends and the public that consumes my work are really supportive 
uh, has let a lot of stuff that was trapped in the basement get closer and closer to the surface. I realized that I didn't realize Hillary realized that I was exhibiting some symptoms of some, some pretty serious repressed trauma. And, uh, so I started going to trauma therapy and that process of learning not only to process through some really, really intensely hurtful things in my past, uh, also helped me become more present here. Oh, that's uh, great. Gosh. You know, I've learned like my whole like weird thing, the kind of like not subtle social awkwardness I have. Uh, that's literally like the trauma circuit to my brain on constant alert for social mm. rejection, which I sure. never realized. Gosh. Um, this is some pretty heavy lifting you're doing. It is very heavy lifting, but it's yeah. keeping me a lot. Literally. I, I love, thank you for talking about that. I, um, I think that is not well understood. Um, what, how our body carries trauma and it doesn't forget um, and so I, I've got a, I've got really, I've got people super close to me going through trauma therapy. And it's interesting because it seems like for a minute, it, it feels like it gets a little worse before it gets better. Just because as you said, you open the door to the basement and hell, it all comes out. Um, mm. but then, wow, the power in it, the power in, um, setting your body and mind free. It's a lot of work. But man, good for you. Good for you for doing that. Can you just tell my listeners a little bit? We'll have all this linked for sure, but where they can find you and what you're working on. Sure. Uh, everything I do is on my website, uh, which is mikemccarg.com. But since you can't spell McCarg, don't worry. Yes. <laughs> just go to asksciencemike.com and that'll Perfect. that'll get you to me and everything I'm doing. <laughs> uh, that's so true. Um, I, um, I just appreciate you so much. I'm so happy that I have, I, that I know you. I'm so happy that our paths crossed. You actually snuck into our church last year <laughs> that's and right. sat in the balcony with just some interesting characters. Cause that's what we have at our church. And, um, it was just, you've, you've just mattered to my community a lot, my church community a lot and me personally. But I have to say, um, being in your church community which I did intentionally sneak in to like not be seen was so redemptive for me. Um, one, one of the high points of the last couple of years was seeing like some of the forms of worship rituals. I loved Mm -hmm. being attached to really profound scholarship and really beautiful theology yes uh i've never i go to churches all the time Mm -hmm. and i've never been in an environment like that that is a really kind thing to say thank you it's funny how um in an environment just full of love and grace and scholarship and this like really robust understanding of god as love and how some of those old words and old songs and old practices, they just crackle with new meaning. It's, it's like they're new again. Um, and that's been true for me too. Thank you for saying that. And thank you for coming. Um, okay. That's it. You're the best. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Mike. Talk to you soon. Okay, you guys. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Um, uh, always fascinating. Mike is just always makes my brain stretch, really makes me think and ponder. He puts a lot of permission into the world of spiritual conversations. And that just matters to me. Um, You know, if you've come from an environment where doubts or questions or new ideas are punished, right? Or that means you're not a part anymore, or um, then you can understand then how liberating it is to be surrounded by people who are like curious and willing to say that, you know, parts of God are mysterious and there's hopefully way more to him than we could ever even comprehend as opposed to like dialing him down into this easy formula. So that's one of the things that Mike has done for me. And I'm so grateful. Plus he's absolutely hysterical. I mean, you picked up on that for sure, but, um, you're going to want more of Mike in your life. We'll have everything linked over at jenhatmaker.com underneath the transcript page, all of his socials, his podcasts, 
his books, um, everywhere where you can find him because he's just a really interesting and wonderful voice to have in your sort of spiritual Rolodex. So glad he was here. Glad you were here. Um, more to come in this amazing series, outstanding leaders, just pressing and pressing and pulling and stretching. I just, I, I love them. They're heroes of mine. So um, you're going to want to come back next week for sure. We're going to have more where that came from and you like it, share it. You like a podcast, throw it around on your social, on your social, send it to people that you love. Thank you for bringing us new listeners all the time. Thanks for subscribing. That's great for us. Reviewing and rating. You guys are the best listeners ever. Okay. You guys have a great one and I'll see you next week. That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.